Welcome to MI Cynic, the podcast with a license to inform. This is your host, Thomas Brancato. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing two expert academics and researchers for a special roundtable panel podcast where we will explore India's relationship with its neighbours, China and Russia. I'd like to welcome back Rishali Saha, qualitative research analyst. She works at The Diplomat as a risk intelligence professional, a visiting fellow for the Stimson Centre, and as a researcher for the Consortium of Indo-Pacific Researchers. Her studies include a master's degree in international relations from Jadavpur University. And I uh, just wanted to welcome you back to the show, Rishali. Thank you so much for being here. Lastly, my second guest is Dr. Indu Saxena. Indu works as an interim director of the Consortium of Indo-Pacific Researchers, a board member at the American Political Science Association, where she specializes in international security and arms control. Her studies include degrees in global affairs and political science from Rutgers and Rajasthan universities. A warm welcome to you, Dr. Indu, and thank you for joining in today. Thank you, Thomas. It's a great pleasure to be here. Well, I wanted to start today with a story that was posted late last year on the 17th of December of 2021 in the Hindustan Times. It read that a 24-hour combat drill featuring commandos and armored assault groups was conducted, which involved anti-nuclear, chemical and biological warfare in Tibet. Indu, you recently warned in your article, Hot Winters Ahead, that India might be prepared for a long undeclared war with China. What led you to this conclusion and what kind of war might we expect uh, with two nuclear nations? And lastly, has the current war in Ukraine changed the panorama since this report was published? Yeah, that's that's a very interesting question because uh, in the last December, I uh, gave my uh, a few insights to uh, Aritra about the Indo-China relations and the conflicts. Like uh, uh, I would say that it has been twenty more than twenty months since the Kalwan phase of and the military standoff in uh, in India and China borders, and uh, that is quite undesirable and unreasonable uh, for the status quo. Yeah, it's it's a kind of like uh, 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 there is a there is a effort of to change the status quo. So a large scale of military buildup uh, from both sides, infrastructures, and the that border tensions that that leads me to say that that it's it's a uh, not going to stop. It's 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 it will continue, and India should be prepared for the for the uh, long conflict, maybe not a major conflict, but uh, like uh, the skirmishes and border disputes. And uh, I would say that uh, there's a clear threat perception that uh, India should be prepared for that. Like uh, new roads are um, being built in Dolatbeg, all the road, uh, uh, Dolatbeg area, Pyongyang Lake area, and uh, whatever Chinese military has occupied there is no way that they will they will uh, give it back to india so i don't see uh, any chance of de-induction or or any chance of retreat from that that position like it, if we say that uh, china there will be the situation of april 2020 no 
that that won't be the case and when we see that uh, recent uh, chinese foreign minister visit to india on march 25th so what it was it has a, a different an objective of that visit that was not to normalize the tie with, between india and china that was something like that the taking india in the in the in the russia and china's uh, camp i would say that uh, on the taking the support of india to in the ukrainian war that in and uh, now the russia and china are the strategic partners and uh, uh, china is supporting at unc and the Russia's and not not condemning any act uh, there in the Ukraine. So that makes uh, me to say that it's it's going it it will continue. Charlie, your thoughts? So uh, I completely agree with Dr. Sistana that the relation could not go back to what it was before the Galvan crisis. But I think I've uh, focused a bit more on your question in terms of what is a war between two nuclear nations like. So I think for India and China, the unique thing is that China refuses to recognize India as a nuclear weapon state, although of course India has uh, shown its nuclear weapons capability. So it's more of a political issue. So despite, the, but of course, the fact that they're geographical neighbors and they have this history of a disputed border, it does complicate the issue a lot. But what I see is that there is a certain amount of nuclear stability, so to speak, between these two countries. Because if you just go back and look at the Galvan crisis, it didn't draw, like neither country drew attention to their nuclear weapons, even though this was an unprecedented level of violence in the region, because it was for the first time that lives were lost in almost like five decades, if I'm not wrong. For the first time, lives were lost after such a long time. So India has not announced any changes to its nuclear position and neither has suggested anything of that sort. And for China, I feel that the nuclear capabilities, strategy, and even debates are more directed about the, towards its uh, threat perception from the United States. I don't think India figures very much in these calculations. And more importantly, I also see that there is a similarity in terms of India and Chinese uh, strategies in terms of no first use. There's a similarity in their approaches between um, in terms of nuclear weapons as instruments of deterrence and not as war fighting. And I think overall this has allowed the two countries to maintain a sense of nuclear stability. So I don't see the possibility of nuclear escalation between um, India and China, a war escalating to the nuclear level. What's also ironic about this thing is that I think that Western writings about uh, Indian nuclear strategy and uh, Chinese nuclear strategies has shaped perceptions in both these countries in terms of what uh, a nuclear war can look like. But if uh, you look more closer, I think there's more similarity rather than divergences, which I believe is a strong detriment. So as far as the nuclear war aspect is concerned, I don't see that as a very troubling thing in terms of India and China relations. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, what uh, Ruchali says, I would uh, uh, like to say to I would take this uh, from what Ruchali said that no first use. Yeah, uh, basically we are agree on no first use, and so and a few. But uh, you you know, like uh, uh, with that policy approach, like uh, uh, I can um, say that there are three uh, in my analysis. There are three kind of obligations with uh, both the countries. Like the first one, the status of the rising power, 
because both are aspired to be a, be a big powers. And of course, they are doing well at economic front and, uh, and diplomatically. And um, uh, there is a strategic shift of global politics towards the rise of China and India. And the second is the economics and trades that uh, uh, we all know that pandemic already hit hard. And uh, we had, uh, both the countries have uh, concerns about the about the supply chain, about the inflation, about the in, about the employment, and uh, other things. So uh, that that's the, that they want to serve the purpose of that uh, status. And the third one is the domestic politics. Like uh, when we see the domestic politics, it's not about the it's not about the CCP, uh, CCP like Communist Party of China, or not about the Xi Jinping. It's about the 1.4 billion people in China and 1.3 billion people in India. They have to feed them. They have to give the employment. They have to give them the, the basic necessity, whatever they want, but the people are looking for their leadership. So like kind of nuclear escalation, mm, it's, it's not a, it, it will be apocalypse for not only for the region, but maybe the world. And like we have seen that, that uh, that Russia has a nuclear power, but but Russia is not eager to use that. He just uh, taking the uh, the old traditional 19th century or 20th century war affair uh, in Ukraine. And uh, but there is a different. I would say there is a, there is a dissimilarity, not the similarity between the in in the case of uh, India and China. Very interesting point, Indu, for a couple of reasons. But when you mentioned the 1.3 billion people in India and so much so in China, the people are often forgotten when we're discussing international relations. You know, we focus on big leaders like Putin, Xi Jinping, Modi, whoever it is. And we often forget that the people have their own demands, often regardless of what leader they have, and that these should be taken seriously as well. And the peace and prosperity and security must be considered as well. So I think it's really important to have to not lose sight of that and to bring that into whatever discussion we're having today is what do the people of India want? What do they need? And the same for the people of China. Hopefully, that will not be border tension and war, of course. But I think what, what immediate parallel we can draw to what's happening today in Ukraine is that if anybody thought conflict was something buried in the 20th century, they thought wrong. And very much so in the 21st century, we have to re-question these questions that we thought were sorted and settled, and they're not. And so again, here we are in the seat discussing, is war a possibility? Something that might've seemed unthinkable uh, when the USSR fell and, and the 2000s came around and we were living in an age of prosperity and the, in, the high-speed internet and global trade and the rise of India and everything seemed great. And then all of a sudden, now we've got the war in Ukraine and, and many other wars and conflicts before that. So I think everything is back on the table for discussion these days. Well, that leads me to the next point that I wanted to discuss. I know we've been uh, touching on Russia, and I wanted to explore that a little bit more deeply. I want to explore what you think about the tensions that are happening from both sides of this geopolitical great game uh, between a rising India and a resurgent, militaristic, belligerent Russia. Is India treading a careful line here in this new global realignment? And can it hope to keep its good graces with both? Or will India be labeled as a pariah 
if it continues to woo Moscow, or at least to not outright condemn Moscow or join the Western sanctions against Moscow. What do you think, Rishabi? This is definitely a very interesting thing, and India's stance has gathered global attention. But um, I do object a little bit uh, in terms of your question where uh, it, it's not a division of the world between those who are supporting Russia and those who are supporting the United States. Because in this binary, we're forgetting that uh, it is a Russia-Ukraine conflict. And I think India's position is one which reorients the debate a little bit back to focus in terms of Russian, uh, Russia and Ukraine's uh, conflict. So India acknowledging that Russia has legitimate security concerns has not stopped the course from supporting Ukraine's humanitarian aid. Uh, our position is being uh, touted, of course, as uh, in terms of strategic autonomy, which I think is very, very important for the sole reason that great power competition is back. And it is back in a multipolar world, in a hitherto unknown world, in a world which is more interconnected than before. So uh, I think it's strategically smart and it's strategically prudent for India to adopt such a posture. But having said that, I also believe that a country which aspires to be a great power cannot adopt it as neutrality or cannot adopt a neutral stance. So that is where my criticism of the Indian position comes, but not because it's not joining one side against the other, but because I believe India is not doing enough. I think as a country which aspires to be a great power, which wants that permanent seat in the United Nations, it needs to take some active steps in terms of conflict mediation, in terms of conflict de-escalation. And this is where India will have to up its diplomacy. I think it's made its position very clear the fact that countries are so many, like there's been a flurry of activity in New Delhi now in terms of foreign visits, which actually does show that India is very important as a global here. But for India to retain that position, to have that influence, I think it's time for it to actively pursue conflict de-escalation. Mediation would be a very good option for India going forward. But of course, that does contradict India's own stance uh, of not having third-party mediation in the conflict, in the Kashmir conflict. But here I want to point out that Russia, by effectively invading Ukraine, has automatically internationalized the conflict. So, so, so it's different. So this scenario I definitely see is objectively different. And moreover, with India having taken out all its students from um, Ukraine, which is a major concern, which is also cited as a reason as to why India has not been able to actively condemn Russia, that, that, that factor is no longer present. So India, I think, is in a better position, they have a more active role in terms of uh, just de-escalating the conflict. But that does not have to come outside as condemnation of Russia, because we, we do share a partnership unlike any, unlike with any other country. We do have our concerns, we do import oil from this country. It concerns India's own energy security. But I do believe that there is this one middle point between not saying anything and outright condemning. And that is the sweet spot that India has to find. That's my yeah, actually, that uh, what Rushali said that India's position uh, in a uh, fast, rapidly emerging world is, is uh, and uh, not only in Asia, but in uh, like uh, European countries and uh, uh, the America. And it's all not about the Quad and not about the Indo-Pacific. That India's uh, why India is uh, uh, is so important. Like the, we saw the flurry of visit, the everyone from uh, Japani Prime Minister Kishida to the Australian Prime Minister Morrison's uh, virtual meeting, and and many more like. Uh, uh, 
top officials from the US government. So like it's a, a very difficult situation at this time for India and at the, at the strategic front, I would say. But you know that what Rushali says, strategic autonomy and uh, is, is not fit for the aspiring great power where India has some, India has ambitions to reform the United Nations have some have uh, the other powers uh, to be there, uh, like Brazil, like South Africa. But you know that this um, uh, I I uh, uh, basically agree with that. That is not the Russia Ukraine war. It's 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 impacted the world. But the, on the same side, I would uh, like to make my argument that uh, uh, not only South Asia, but the 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 states in the world like uh, like africa like uh, latin america they are navigating uh, very cautiously in this in this uh, in this war they are not just going picking up the sides like in the like when the, that happened after cold war like there were two blocks but i would say now it's not the uh, bipolarity it's not the unipolarity is the multipolarity where the ASEAN have the different role, where India has a different role. Maybe the Latin American countries have the different roles. Yes, it's, it's the uh, complex and complicated situation for India when it comes to the largest democracy of the world. When we say about the international norms, when we say about the um, uh, universal uh, values or, or, uh, or what Indian uh, foreign policy um, in the in the, the this in this uh, like we say in sabka sat and sabka vikas uh, so uh, we, we are depending uh, like our fundamental uh, philosophical guidance of foreign policy as to live uh, and to let uh, to uh, living in coexistence like to live and let live so sometimes like when uh, say values and interest so basically, it's I won't say that it's a diff, uh, conflict between values and interests, but yeah, surely India is taking its position, and maybe uh, there's there is a in coming time a reconfiguring where where it has to take the part of Russia. Well, India's military dependence, wholly dependence on on Russia, and if the um, uh, the United States and the Europe has is eager to help India in that way in the, in the technology transfer and the modern technology uh, transfer. So India has to see that and maybe uh, India has started conferring those situation. And be, I would say the one more point, and then I will I will uh, stop my, uh, myself there, that uh, the China factor in India and Russia relations, there is a China factor is a big concern. India see, India see Russia as an ally to deter China. So again, we are where we started from the Galwan phase of an India-China relation. We just came here. The the, the this Russian-Ukraine war takes India's position over there again. I think it's it's really interesting considering a couple of your points, and I'm going to try to crudely put them together. But you've mentioned 
the role that countries have to now figure out for themselves in in a new world that's that's already here and it's not easy it's complicated it's messy and there's a, always a, a trade off uh, that has to happen sometimes between values and interests sometimes between position on the map and military capacity i think india's in many way is the most interesting and complex case out of all the great powers or aspiring great powers or regional powers in the face of the, the post ukraine conflict india's position has if not shocked then certainly taken back many observers in the west who might have wanted something differently uh, for india to choose and who sometimes my personal critique seem to think they have the right to tell other countries how they should behave or what a proper democracy would do or how we would do things and that doesn't always fly in the face of how other countries see things or certainly how modi sees things in india and so for that it's caused a bit of confusion i think in a lot of western media outlets as to why is india not doing what we did exactly the way we did it and i think you two are mentioning good reasons why india's relationship with russia is a bit more complex one of them certainly could be that uh, whereas a great power perhaps uh, shouldn't be neutral or uh, as rishali is uh, was indicating earlier there's also energy security to be considered which for a country of over 1 billion people is a major concern and india already struggles a lot with its own energy providing and and thomas i would uh, like to say that uh, one more thing that it's it's a different uh, way of thinking while you are sitting in new delhi and while i am sitting in new york and uh, thomas is sitting in london so what they are thinking about india's positions that they, they are totally different exactly i think perspective is a, is a major element of this and i'm certain that india has very bright people at the government who are trying to figure this out every day as it goes along because there are big changes happening in the world and the rise of china is certainly one of them and india's position on the map is between russia and china so it's not uh, it's not as easy as it might be in, from new york Uh, to make these decisions but that leads me actually to the next question that i had uh, for each of you which is india's national interest how does that lie in what uh, indu was speaking earlier about a multipolar world because if we are coming into a new world order a multipolar world order where it's no longer an american hegemony as as we might have previously called it how does that multipolar vision set it apart from the strategic end goal for china which might be more of a unipolar world let me start with this that uh, uh, that that's like uh, the at the present and current scenario that's the best fit for uh, india's positions to be the multipolarity because you know like uh, it's uh, uh, sometimes like it's uh, we say that is a uh, it's a conflict between democracy and autocracy and now the there's a two blocks between the, the divided over ideology but then again i would say that the multipolarity stands like for the a different role for the asian countries a different role for the um, latin american countries and different role for the african countries and they have they all don't have the democracy there in southeast asian country if we take a talk about singapore it's not a total complete democracy over there if we talk about indonesia if we talk about vietnam so it's not about like and these countries like they uh, have been assessing the role of like uh, they are just uh, we say the tired of this uh, this uh, cold war blocks 
the United States and China, uh, oh, sorry, United States and um, Russia. So they just want to trading and navigating their way more in the economic perspective, more their peace and stability perspective. And that's what India is also doing that. Be, be big, a, being a big country of the billions of population and with hostile neighbors. So it's not in the favor of India to go and India has not that policy while, the, while, in, while it's inception. When we saw that uh, uh, starting from the 1947, which were the, the India's the non-alignment and that non-alignment worked. And when there was two, though, that always the criticism was there from the Western experts or Western countries that India is in the Russian group. That was the India's uh, Russia friendship that we uh, were talking about in our previous question. So that's not the case. What I see is very distinct uh, a clear cut division of that, that is India's multipolarity is India wants uh, uh, its uh, uh, interest to grow and for, with the ASEAN, with the African countries, with the Middle East and with the West. And maybe that if China uh, comes with the dialogue, but that India in the recently concluded that uh, no more business as usual if we are not talking about the borders dispute. So that's that's the case. So I'll just take off from where Dr. Sutana left uh, and also point out that it's very interesting when we're talking about Chinese perceptions of world order because their actions rarely ever uh, match their words. So I think, and especially when we're looking at a U.S. conception of world order and a Chinese conception of world order, it's also quite intriguing to see how each call the other revisionists. And they each have uh, their own conception of a rules-based order, which they proclaim to be the conservator of. So uh, at this point, I'd also like to point out, like Dr. Sena also said, that there is a sort of commonality, in fact, between um, China and India's vision of multipolarity, at least professed multipolarity. And I think the RIC platform is the most evident uh, example of that. We've seen that in uh, which RIC, which emerged in the immediate aftermath of the Cold War, uh, the three states, they tried to make a case for multipolarity and keep American um, unipolarity or rather the unipolar moment um, in check. It was also a time where the three nations were sort of coordinating their responses to global challenges, which came in the form of Western military interventions. Uh, climate change and global trade. But however, as we see the Chinese uh, aggression increase, the RIC platform has decreased in value. And I think this is where the distance between Chinese action and rhetorics come in play. So um, although uh, um, like the, the Chinese have professed, I think, uh, the Tianxia notion, Tianxia notion, and that's an ancient concept which basically treats the world as a united whole, as a harmonious whole, but places China at the center of it. And this is where I think the Indian and Chinese conception diverge. And the most interesting example of the Indian conception of multipolarity is seen in the Indo-Pacific. Security and growth for all, the Sagar vision of the Indo-Pacific is the most clearest manifestation of India's vision of multipolarity, where it seeks to grow with the countries around it, 
but of course keeping its own national interest intact, which of course is the guiding principle for any country um, in the anarchy of international relations. So as far as the common values was there, I think that was a facade between China and India, which is dissolving quite rapidly in the face of VRI and instances of this, which show that Chinese ambitions are much different. They have global domination, so to speak, um, in their mind. But having said that, I don't see India and US conceptions of the world order also matching. Uh, Dr. Jayashankar has in many instances pointed out that uh, United States has to learn to live with multipolarity. This is a very interesting way of understanding how India is doing uh, the, the, the changes in the global order. So, um, yeah, I think that is uh, my answer to questions to how Chinese and Indian perceptions of world order are evolving. Thank you, Rishabi. And I hope you'll stay with us for the next episodes that we've got planned. Please remember to follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and more. And of course, to check out our website for the latest episodes. Thank you so much and have a great day.